Hello and welcome. This is the Carbon Watchdog podcast. Abundance Investments is a crowdfunding platform that lets people finance the energy transition. If you've got a little money and you want to make it do good and earn something back, then listen on. Abundance Investments MD, Bruce Davis, is a fount of knowledge about the renewable energy industry. And I managed to get an hour of his time and a ton of fascinating info about investing for a climate-friendly future. Great. Okay, so uh, my name is Adam Hardy, and this is the Carbon Watchdog podcast. And uh, to all the listeners out there who are expecting more regular output, I'm sorry about that, but I've been really snowed under with stuff for the Charities Commission trying to do the red tape to get um, our charity application, our charitable status through. Uh, so as with the Carbon Watchdog podcast, it's all free, but uh, if you want to support me, then you can go onto the website and there'll be a link there to Patreon, which you can find. And I would be immensely grateful for any contributions. So on today's podcast, I have, um, I have Bruce Davis, who is the one of the managing directors of Abundance Investments. And uh, I've written an article on Abundance Investments on the website. And if you haven't read that, then a, a very short rundown is that Abundance Investments offer um, long-term interest-bearing investments for uh, retail investors to put very small amounts up to fairly substantial amounts into renewable, en renewable energy and uh, all sorts of green investments that offer a, a great opportunity to, to get involved on a, um, on a small scale, on a retail basis. So essentially that's, that's Bruce's job really to, to say all of this kind of stuff. So I'll leave it at that. But he's here with me now and I'm just gonna click the, uh, click the view so that I'm recording both of us at the same time. Okay, there you go. So um, thank you very much for agreeing to be on the podcast, Bruce. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, good to be here. And uh, I've lined up a few questions and hopefully they'll provide some sort of rhythm for the podcast as it goes. And uh, the first one is essentially what I touched on earlier. You on Abundance Investments are offering what I've what I have invested in personally is the uh, the renewable energy uh, stuff, and there's a new one, a new offering came out to uh, provide funding for uh, car charging in was it Manchester or Birmingham? Yeah, Manchester. Yeah, Greater Manchester. But you actually have around about forty or forty five investment opportunities or bonds from companies out there, company, companies and councils out there. Can you can you fill me in quickly on what other sectors do you cover? It's not just renewable energy, is it? Not anymore. So I guess you know, when we started 10 years ago, the idea of investing directly into something in this way was was so new that it hadn't been, you know, the regulator didn't really know what to do with it. And we had to work quite hard with the regulator to get permission to do it effectively, to create crowdfunding. Um, and we started out with seeing a very clear need amongst those people who were developing um, local scale, I would say, wind farms. 
and also then also into solar and other areas of renewable energy. So things were at a scale where the investment needed was in the millions, but the low millions um, per project. And working with banks and other types of financing companies was not easy. Um, in particular, they, at that point, 10 years ago, hadn't sort of woken up to their responsibilities in terms of climate change. And were much more focused on recovering from the crisis and or uh, lending to property. So the we, crunch. yeah, basically that, that forced a lot of banks away from lending to businesses. And then I think the other bit is since then, though, the, the sort of green economy has developed. So I think we've, there's been a lot of work done to green the electricity supply of the UK. And we can see the success of that over the weekend. I think it was the a record for, for renewable energy on the grid. Um, and you know, some of that has come, I think, through the, the, the development of the sort of on, on land infrastructure, but a big chunk of that has come from offshore. Um, but I think what, what we've seen from a crowdfunding point of view is then new, new sectors coming in like um, the sort of nuts and bolts, if you like, of green infrastructure. So um, we've looked at sort of tidal, the tidal industry in quite a lot of detail. We've been quite big backers of tidal power. Um, that's particularly obviously focused in Scotland. Um, we've been looking at different forms of, if you like, circular economy investing. So that's where the equation from a from a carbon perspective is off, often harder to to work through. Um, and often these business, um, those technologies are sort of stepping stones towards an economy that is effectively net zero. Um, and, and often dealing with difficult problems we don't want to think about, <laughs> Minus, right. like, like waste. You know, that, that's a, that is one area we've, we've looked at. Um, and that tends to be, if I'm honest, more controversial with some of our investors because some people will, will not look at, let's say, energy from waste on principle. Um, yeah, so, so I think the, you know, those are all areas. I think what we're seeing now is um, more which is around such as the EV charging, more which is around the enabling infrastructure, the enabling system for people to make their consumer choices. Um, we're seeing the same in food production too. Um, we're hoping that in the next sort of three months, we'll have a couple new investments in that zone, um, which will be a, a departure again. Um, and, but I, but I think, you know, the core area that we used to have of, of solar investing and wind investing, has really moved onto a scale and a kind of time frame which doesn't really work for for crowdfunding so it's not that the investments aren't there they're just we're just not perhaps not the most suitable mode of financing for them um, well, they're not they're not long term enough or well, no they are long term but they are relatively low return um now whilst we've done lower risk low returning products with you know the, the you mentioned the council bonds the municipal bonds um the majority of our investors actually want to invest direct into companies and, and take on private company return and risk profiles as we had with Aduna. Um, and those just aren't the case for say a solar development now. Uh, I think you'd be lucky to see on a good solar development a, a, a three to 4% return on, on your money um, over probably 20, 25 years. And, and that, yeah, that, that may not be as interesting to people who are, I think probably motivated by two things. There's a return question we should come back to, but the other one is the level to which they're really creating impact and making change. 
And I think with the tidal investments, that's been a really good example where I think if we hadn't been there, the UK wouldn't have a tidal industry to speak of because we we stepped in there and, and built those, helped build those companies and provide them with financing, which I think otherwise they would have, they would have struggled to get it from a commercial basis. But I think it was a lot for a bank to get their head around in terms of a new technology and a new sector and, and literally a lot of moving parts. That that's excellent. I mean, that's really fascinating. Tidal power is just I I'm a bit geeky with this sort of technical stuff. That sound is tidal yeah. power is really really interesting. And the um, I remember about 15 years ago talking to a guy who'd in, who'd invented in his PhD he'd invented some tidal power machinery mm. or technology, and he said that he just couldn't get anywhere to trial it because the whole of the coastline of England is owned by the crown. And the crown didn't want to have anything to do with it. They were just like, right. no, no, go away, foolish boy. And <laughs> well, so, so it's and fantastic yeah, so, that you managed to get, you managed to help launch that breakthrough. Well, we worked, the, the, the two big areas, it's Orkney really is the big tidal kind of experimental zone, if you want it to call it that. And, and then on, on the north of Scotland. So there happened to be quite strong tides up there. Um, and that is where... Right. The undersea turbine technology, which Atlantis, Cymec are producing, and the floating turbine technology, which Orbital are developing, these are that's where those are being tested. And and um, you know they they've obviously got potential to be used elsewhere. Atlantis have just installed a new turbine in Japan, um, and they're also working with the French government to to put their turbines into some of the strong tides you get around the Normandy coast. So it is, um, but the UK is, I think. Globally, I get these figures right. We're we're nine percent of the global tidal energy flows around our island, which is huge. Right, and how much? So, so so imagine in, so at the turn of the century and in, mm. in the year twenty one hundred, how much do you think tidal power would make up of the whole of the whole renewable energy mix? I think that depends on offshore wind. So I think tidal is a predictable resource to the minute. Um, it's also uh, more efficient in terms of the scale of turbine that you need because water is more dense. So you don't, the turbines don't have to turn as fast and they don't have to be as big right. to get the same energy output. Um, so I think, you know, the majority of our, of our renewable power is going to be from offshore wind for sure, because it's, it's reached a scale now and a, and a cost competitiveness which I think is quite hard to match even with solar. Yeah. Um, but I think the tidal is still at that stage where they haven't moved down the cost curve as, as offshore wind did say, well, I think you'd have to wind back the clock 10 years when offshore wind was seen as quite expensive. Right. Uh, and they made a concerted effort over the next decade to reduce costs. Tidal is about to follow that same track. If it's successful, then You'll see tidal being used, I think, where you need that predictable supply. Um, and, and also, I think, in things like the production of, of green hydrogen and things like that. So you know, this, that's in particular where it'd be used. And then there's also the challenge, as was just illustrated, the news today where the French were threatening to turn off Jersey's power over fishing rights. Oh, um, right. I didn't see that. Yeah, the, the interconnect to Jersey from France. Um, you know, 
do islands be, you know, push for things like tidal energy to become energy independent as well as green in terms of the way they're set up? Because a lot of islands, they rely on diesel power and things like that. Yeah. So, so it's not a, so tidal is, is it going to grow out of this sort of niche area that it occupies at the moment? Because it really is kind of really small and people don't really yeah, think about tidal much. Uh, it, no, it, it, it will grow if it can reduce its costs. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think the other bit is is the need on the other side, how, how low that cost needs to come will depend on the value that effectively sort of battery type services or balancing type services provide on the grid. So, um, you know, when you're because I think there's two types of tidal, you've got tidal stream where you've got the predictable predictability of the moon um, driving when when you will be producing energy. Um, and then you've got um, the, the tidal lagoon technologies, um, which are really there to provide power when wind and solar are not. Um, you know, we had a good wind weekend. We're going to have a poor end to the wind week. Um, so, you know, the, these are these is where you need a mix of energy technologies available, um, in particular if... Um, you know, depending on your views on nuclear power, but at just a purely economic perspective, nuclear power at the moment is finding it hard to hit those costs. Right. Um, and so... They um, always bang on about their base load, don't they? Oh, nuclear power is just brilliant for base load. Yeah. And, and, and what we're seeing, if we're getting 60% swings in renewable production, base load isn't really a thing anymore. It's about the grid and, and balancing the grid. Um, that, that There's... There was a period when baseload stopped being used by government as a, as a, as a tool, and it came back again. So um, there is a there is a need to have consistent power for certain types of services. Um, but I think the on the other side of it is, if you have a nuclear power station, let's say one that's producing three point two gigawatts, as as the new the new one in Somerset will be doing, you need to offset that coming off the grid. You you can't just rely on that. And have no redundancy, right? And and nuclear stations yeah. come offline not as often, but they do as as the weather changes. But they do come offline. Ah, uh -huh. so that's why they're probably arguing. The pro nuclear lobby will probably argue that they need more than just one. Then. They need two of them. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> okay, yeah, that makes the, sense. I, I think the I, I it comes back to. When we're talking about net zero, it's as you know, as the discussions have been this week, it's a slippery concept, and it's possible to say things about net zero that you have to then verify, which I guess is what someone like yourself would do. You know, ask the question, ask the different question, and you know, when someone says that they're net zero, you really do need to understand their definition of it because there's no fixed definition. Right. Um, and I think that I've seen. From from all sides, actually, I'm not going to say one lobby or the other because each each technology is lobbying hard for attention and for money and for support and so on. Is you you see different arguments at different times for why they are a good idea. Yeah, and uh, I think the fundamental thing is as a as an investor, if, if I'm just using my money, my small amount of money in my pension or my ISA to say right, I want to make some change here is. Am I backing a range of things that are happening? And are they all going in the same sort of direction? That's about as good as I think you can get at the moment. Right. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. 
I mean, going back to people as well, though, you mentioned earlier that you're thinking that that now so sorry, was it wind is not sort of um, producing enough return to interest people. And that really kind of shocks me a bit because I'd have thought that, you know, you um, yeah. I, I was going to get onto sort of the risk of it later. But but one of the things that you that you say on your website is that it's best to have a um, several investments because of the risk of one of them going under. Yes. And um, so I'd have thought that if you're going to diversify, you, you're you going to have, you know, these low interest bonds from, say, a wind farm or a solar farm would be offering not very much, but probably more than my interest bearing 90 um, day access account at the co-op. Yes. And uh, so that's, I would have thought, well, at least they're still interesting to me, but it, it sounds like you're getting people coming along who are sort of, uh, you know, well, it's, it's like size. demanding stock market returns or something. <laughs> Some of them are. I, I, I think um, it depends on the amount of money you need to raise. Um, and I think the other issue is with the wind and solar stuff is we would be a, a portion of the capital required. Um, so a 50 megawatt solar farm, which is the sort of average size now being developed that's 50 million pounds. We, we don't have the capability of raising that um, in a short period of time from individuals. Um, and we don't, because we don't have that money ready there and then, the way mm -hmm. those businesses get financed, we, we can't participate as easily in those sort of deals. There will be changes coming. I mean, we're, we're looking at deals in Wales and in Scotland where it's a requirement that the local community and people generally can invest in them. So there's a, there's a, an element of the capital is put to one side for investors. Um, but I think there's two things to bear in mind. The first one is that the, the returns that you're getting on, on some of these projects does, does reflect the sort of the value of those projects. And there is a lot of money looking to invest into solar and wind at the moment. And that pushes up the price of, of the assets themselves. So a bit like property prices, when there's more money being chasing around, that's what it isn't. You know, supply and demand is not really the issue here. It's actually the amount of money looking to invest. And in terms of you, in terms of your your platform, mm. if the price goes up, that essentially translates into the interest rate that's offered going down, right? It, well, effectively, it, a, it, we don't invest obviously in the equity with the shares side of it, but but the the amount of debt that gets raised and the return on that debt goes down if there are lots of people looking for that type of bond yeah mm -hmm. um and so um our ability if you like to uh command a price in the market is reduced because someone else will take a lower return and you know a commercial venture look, will want to reduce its cost of debt so you think that um you were you were mentioning that you're too small to be able to bring together the uh the capital that's required to fund a whole a whole project a whole renewables project on its own for a 50 megawatt yeah yeah is that something that you might grow into is that something that abundance could do eventually um, i would imagine um but it's that's a you know it we would at the moment we we're, we're quite comfortably able to raise between three and seven million um from over the, the investor base that we have over um, a month or so is it up to sort of three three or four months usually right um and iduna the the, the one that, that that came through the platform recently for the ev charging that was unusual that it was it, it did the four million in a week now um 
there's a question whether we would maintain that pace and do a larger amount, but above seven and a half million pounds, we're required to do another level of, uh, you know, essentially not bureaucracy, but due diligence in terms of producing a prospectus. Um, and that starts to look and feel a lot more like the sorts of companies and investments you can buy on, on, a, on the stock market, not in terms of equities, but bonds. So it, it's a lot more costly to do those types of projects. And whilst we have the capability to do that from a regulatory perspective, we're not seeing that, that, that our money would be sort of competitive with the money that's coming from essentially the city of London there. Right. So, so I think, it, it, as I said, there will be projects coming through where um, a large scale solar farm is required to get, you know, five million pounds from from smaller investors as part of their planning permission. Okay. Yeah. And hopefully we'll participate there. And the returns on that particular portion of the debt might be a little bit higher because they're not what's called it, it when you when you're financing something quite big like that, you'll have different bits of capital. They sure. call it a stack. Um, and and you'll have the equity, the, the shares of the company, and then you'll have different bits of borrowing that they're making. Yeah. Um, and the senior debt, which is usually coming from a bank, is is the lowest risk. It has the claim over the project, and a bit like when you're borrowing money to to, to buy a house, your bank owns your house effectively. Okay. Uh, but there are other bits uh, which are um, higher risk, therefore higher return, that you can also lend. Um, and th those are the bits where I think we we would probably be able to participate. I um yeah I got. I get the impression that one possible barrier to people going onto abundance and using it is the amount of stuff that you have to read because you have, right. essentially you're being forced to read the small print. You know, everybody goes, everybody goes onto a website and, and yeah. they start using it, say from Apple or Google or something, and you get the they terms and conditions them. pop up <laughs> and you just scroll down the bottom and hit okay. I don't know anybody who ever yeah. read them, right? But, but with abundance, what you do is you force people to answer a questionnaire yeah. before they can hit buy that proves that they actually read it, which well, is... Well, exactly, exactly. And, and I, that's important. Um, and it's interesting that the regulators actually asking questions whether they, they should have additional controls in there at the moment. So yeah. when we launched um, those, we, we actually did use to enforce that there was a time period before you could press invest now so if you saw the offer document we wouldn't let you just press invest now we right. made you go and have a cup of tea and read it yeah um but uh but now yes we have the test and that's a regulatory requirement for crowdfunding um and what it does is it checks that as an investor you've understood that you're taking a risk essentially right and if you fail that test you won't be allowed to move forward because you haven't understood that you're making an investment essentially. You, you... Oh, I see. So, and that's important because as you said, you know, we've done 40, I think six projects. We've had two or three where we've had issues, one where it's gone wrong, if you see what I mean, sufficiently that people have come away with, with a loss. And mm -hmm. in that situation that, you know, you might expect there to be, if there's 1500 investors to expect a lot of complaints about that. I mean, we see very few complaints, single digit numbers yeah because we've made sure people understood what they were doing and and if you know that you signed something and said yes i know i'm taking a risk i know there's a risk on my capital 
if the worst happens, something goes wrong with the project, then you understand that's what you were getting into. Um, and we've seen some pretty high profile things recently where frankly, the controls weren't there. And so people yeah. have complained. And that, that isn't to do with abundance, that's, that's to do with other areas of crowdfunding or unregulated investments that really shouldn't be out there in the market at all because they don't take the time to sort of make investors read what they're doing. So I agree, no. yeah, it, there's a bit of a, a halt there that's designed to be there um, and is a requirement now. Yeah. I but I think I, I, we, we do know that some people don't want to go through for every single investment they're going to make. They don't want to go through an offer doc. So we are looking at whether we can offer a product which is essentially giving you a chance with some of your money to, to sort of invest in lots of companies all in one go, so through a fund. Oh yeah, that's that, that would be perfect. So, so that that's a solution for people who don't want to get so involved in the individual investments. They'll still be able to do the crowdfunding side of it, but but we know that some people are are put off by they just don't have the time, or maybe they don't have the the motivation yet to really get involved in the ins and outs of electric vehicle charging or whatever else it is that we're describing. Um, but some, yeah, they absolutely want to, you know, they, 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 they really like the updates they get from the tidal industry people. Yeah. They like to see the, the machines going in the water and see their returns as well. So it is horses for courses. We're not, we're expecting that some people just want to know that they've done something good with their money, but they don't necessarily, as you say, want to go through the whole process of, what is this? What, which, what am I going to do specifically? Um, and that's, that's a different type of investment. Yeah, I think it's um, essentially it's risk, isn't it? Um, the, you can invest quite simply in the stock market. You have to sign lots of small print when you open your account with a, with an, um, with a stock broking company. And if, whether you understand that or whether it's even written in a way that makes sense is, is, is a good question. Well, the, but you just what's go... interesting is that they're consulting on some changes that might affect that too. So, so some of the good things that have happened in crowdfunding is we found out ways of using online tools to slow people down a bit. Yeah. I, I think, you know, if you, you, if you saw the things, what they called the Robin Hood investing and games, game stock and, and all those types of things. Yeah people getting carried away on sentiment or Bitcoin, you know, is a classic example of that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, not taking the time to look at the fundamentals of what is really going on or even understanding them. Right. Um, so I think what, what we, when we look at a project, um, yes, if we're talking about a renewable energy generation, you've got the inputs and outputs, they're relatively easy to get your head around. Slightly harder with electric vehicle charging, there's more moving parts. Um, different again when we looked at green social housing and those type of investments. So we we want people to understand these are all different types of risk and they should spread their money, as you say. Mm -hmm. um, the other side of it, though, is we also want people to engage. We want people to think about where their money is going a little bit more and not just assume that the sort of passive option will necessarily get you where you want to be. Um, and I think that's that's the trade-off here, that when we look at what's now being termed as ESG investing or environmental social governments type investing, a bit like net zero, that's a pretty broad definition there. And for some people that includes palm oil. <laughs> right. Uh, or 
you know, investment in coal. Well, so, I guess that investment in coal now—you're now yeah. really pushing the envelope. Well, because they, in, in what because ways? Say, well, we're we're influencing that company and trying to get them to change. Okay, right. So, okay, you don't mean abundance; you mean just no, no, ESG no, no, in general. Not, not, yeah. No, I'm talking generally about ESG. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. So I think no, we we wouldn't invest in coal. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, uh, one thing with the with the EV car charging. I uh, the I so I went in there and I read all the stuff and I thought, yeah, well, you know, I think I understand, or at least uh, knowing myself and knowing my ability to to um, skip things and miss things out and just be right. a bit woolly about it. I kind of thought, well, okay, I know as much as I as I think I'm going to get out of this. And after investing, I then went off and uh, I think it was on Twitter. I saw somebody in Wandsworth, a councillor in Wandsworth electioneering and going on about how they've installed so many ev charging points around their around their borough mm. and then they were they're a conservative council and then they were immediately lambasted by the by the opposing labor people in the opposite coming from the opposite direction saying you know this is a bunch of rubbish you charge so much that nobody uses them it's a complete right. waste of money and i thought right. oh god i don't even know how much these guys are going to charge for that, you know <laughs> well yeah, and that yeah, that's an interesting one because, as I said, this was a private company that they've they've got the contract from Transport for Greater Manchester to deliver a number of charges for them, well, so for the area, not for them, and they were taking over a number of charges that were already there, uh, which the council had planned to switch on to um, having to pay for them. They were they were free up until until now, um, but it, it wasn't. The fact that Iduna were taking them over that they're now charging, but um, that that's the reality now. They're now you now having to pay to fill up your car uh, with electricity, and yes, it's they will have to get the pricing right. So there's a question then of whether you think that the best people to sort of deliver that are private companies working in partnership with local councils or not, yeah, or or councils themselves. And I think what will happen is you're going to get a mix of things. So it's all going to come down to location um, mm -hmm. and then the type of charger that you can put in that location. And so what, what Aduna are offering is this, this sort of convenient charging during the day for people you can't easily charge at home because they don't have a driveway or, you know, they don't park near the house. Um, and also the access to sort of public spaces such as shopping centers, gyms and so on, which, transport for greater manchester have have that access right so yes there will be different charges for different you know if you're charging your car in an emergency kind of way on the motorway i'm sure you'll get charged quite a lot for the electricity in in the future um as much as you do now for your petrol yeah um, well, i mean that's yeah and sandwiches and everything it's just and everything else expensive yeah or or they will subsidize it with you buying sandwiches <laughs> <laughs> good one yeah, so I, I will see what business models come out. And I think, yes, we had to take a view that Aduna are experienced guys. They've worked in this area for a long time and they had a plan. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's what you're putting your money behind. Um, and the question then is, well, is the chicken and egg. Building more chargers will reduce the number one reason why people don't buy an electric car, which is range anxiety. And right. 
so you kind of have a positive feedback you would hope that seeing more chargers around means more people buy electric vehicles which means more people use your chargers and that mm -hmm. i think is what the whole industry is sort of building itself on yeah. so we will see how that develops but i think the key thing is that we see you know it you're, you're buying small amounts of chargers at a time not making a big bet as some of them are you know on thousands being rolled out in, in, in a wave if you like we would rather see that as the technology develops and as people's understanding develops that you you adapt your strategy and and change what you're offering yeah yeah it's which I mean, yeah, just, just, the, just the, good business sense, in my view, rather than anything to do with green investing. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to have a ten thousand EV charging units out there with all with just the one old connector that suddenly becomes redundant. Well, yeah, just, hopefully not connectors, but it's definitely about the time that it takes. Yeah, um, the rapid charge. Yeah, there's different words being used. There's fast chargers, rapid chargers, and all these different types of terminologies, but. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're suitable for different places, um, depending on how long people are going to be there. So I guess, yeah, I mean, from an investor perspective, you're having to therefore understand a little bit about what do we think consumer behavior is doing. Um, you have to understand a little bit about the future of the EV market, which is, you know, from 2030 will be 100% of new cars. Um, so it's, yeah, it, 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 those things are all that need to be taken into account when you're thinking about the risk. To a certain extent, when you when I'm thinking about the risk as an investor, I kind of <laughs> I kind of get far enough, and then I'm like, oh, I can't handle any more of this small print stuff. Right, abundance really wouldn't put something that was going to fall apart onto their mm. platform, would they? And just click buy. So uh, right. to a certain uh, extent, there's there's um, reliance on on abundance investments to put good quality stuff up there. This, yeah. So you can rely on us to have done the due diligence. What that, what does that mean? It, due diligence is us asking them the questions, right? So if they're saying something like, we think we can make this much revenue from selling electricity, we will ask them, well, what is that assumption based on? And yeah. we'll look for a conservative view of what they think their prospects are, because we're, we're, we are financing them with debt. We're not, the equity we're not going to get all the all the other upsides of being a shareholder um we want to know that the money would get repaid um and there's always risk because otherwise you wouldn't get that return but yeah that that's what we look at um i think the the other side is yes we've also looked at this from a and thought about it quite deeply about well how does this fit with our overall mission which is about accelerating net zero um, now, not all of our investments are about that, but the majority of them are. And I think people also look to us to make sure that we've thought about the carbon, both the impact, but also how does this how does this accelerate the change we need to make? Because assuming that aiming for 2050 and getting everything done in 2049 doesn't work, um, no. it, it is about doing as much as you can as early as you can. Um, so we think about these investments in those terms as well. And so you might choose Iduna over another EV charging company because you think that basically their, their approach is going to create change faster. And that okay. might come with a risk, but the risk of not achieving the goal is greater in a way. So it's mm -hmm. that's some of the trade-offs, I think. So it's at the level of investment risk, 
I think what we hope is that people can read our documents and understand to the point where they're prepared to put their money in or not, what risk is they're actually taking yeah. and that there is a risk. The second piece is, as you say, that you, you kind of understand a little bit of, of why we think this is a medium risk or a low risk investment or a high risk investment. Right. Um, and that is that will come down to what you've identified. Am I? You know, we, we can't predict the future in terms of the take up of electric vehicles, whether it's going to be 2025 when the tipping point comes or later. We don't know. Mm -hmm. But we can give you the probability that we think that's the case. And that's what we've that's what we present to investors and then you make a decision based on that but that I'd, i wouldn't want people to think that we do help the companies that have problems um and our investors help those companies we've had a couple where there's been real and significant issues working with the um the energy regulator particularly if you're working in the biomass sector okay and our investors have, have backed those companies and supported them. They've given them payment holidays, things like that, to get them through those difficult points because they understand the motivation of those individuals is to try and do the right thing. Um, and so it isn't a simple case of, oh, well, I can't make my payments this month, therefore it's all over. If, if there's a problem, we will try and fix it. And Abundance get involved and we support personally with our people, our expertise, um, but we also, work with the investors to say, right, this is where they're at. This is what they're trying to achieve. Uh, and this, you know, and if people are kind of in agreement, then maybe we, we look at the terms of the investment as well, but everything through that is sort of done democratically. So you vote on it essentially. That is, yeah, that's just fantastic that it has a, a democratic, democratic basis. It's sort of, it's, it's pulling. It's not pulling. so different from being a shareholder in a way, in a way you've got more power because you're a creditor. Right. Um, yes, I was, I was going to contrast it with yeah. shareholding, which is more or less seen as these, they're just, shares are just commodities. You never really have that much to do with them unless you're big enough right. to be able to go to an AGM and stand up and, and put something to the vote and get other people to back you, like mm. like in these divestment campaigns who are having quite some success at the moment. But what I was, what I was thinking is, what I was saying is that what impresses me is that the democratic, it's local people or, or not local mm. people but citizens like me yeah. and you are supposed to a certain extent get get the opportunity but to be involved at that yeah. level and that that's really i think that's really quite something it is very that, real if, if you say so although we're an online business and we use illustrations to show the projects because often they're not built yet um yeah the, the actual business of doing it you, you get you get to understand what's going on and i think some of our investors have been with us for for 10 years um, they've been through the ups and downs of the renewables industry for the last 10 years, which have had it definitely had ups and downs. Um, a lot of it driven by external factors like policy and changes in policy and so on. Um, and so, you know, what, what we can see going forward is I think we want people to be able to diversify as quickly as possible. So um, when we started out, I probably 1% of my investors used my secondary market. So we have a marketplace where you can buy and sell any of the projects that we've got available because there's always one or two investors that are looking to get their cash out for whatever reason. Right. And yes. if you joined in 2020, then nearly half of those investors also bought something through our marketplace. Mm -hmm. So, so in that 10 years, we've kind of moved from 
mostly people buying from our what we call the primary market so when they're raising money to actually quite a big percentage of people buying little bits of existing projects through the secondary market through the marketplace yeah i wanted to get in i wanted to to put some money in there but i haven't really i don't trust myself yet because i'm not quite sure i haven't seen it in action so to speak well, hopefully we're, we're, we're just at this point going to implement a change that I think will simplify the process, particularly for a first time user. Um, at the moment, it works a bit like eBay. So you're, you're basically bidding for debentures that other people own already. Right. Well, that's the main reason why I didn't want to do it, because I'm, from my experience on eBay is that when you have an auction, people tend to overbid. Right. people especially if it's a sunday afternoon when everybody's out there <laughs> got free yeah, time they will as... massively overbid the price of a product and, and yeah uh, it, they go pretty consistent pricing um yeah. most of them when you look at what price you're paying and this is some of the things we want to show people is we're giving people more information to see what price it is they're paying and the value they're going to get in terms of the return okay so is if you buy a debenture you buy it for the amount of capital that's left plus a little bit which probably reflects the fact that all debentures are earning interest all the time mm -hmm. but they get paid every six months so if you were buying a debenture that's about to pay out you should make consideration for the fact that it's about to give you some money effectively for free <laughs> yeah um, no, i saw that yeah so, slight so got, complication but it, but you've got a calculator on the website that we do. Should do that and, and that's been improved a little bit now with the new there's a new version coming out which should make that a whole lot easier to, to navigate oh wow okay yeah so, so because we've seen that people are shopping there a bit more yeah we've 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 gone through a process we talked to customers that are there's some quite big users that use it every day and there's other people that that trade now and again and we talked to everybody and said right okay here are different ways we can make it easier and um, based on that we, we've we've been we're going to implement some changes okay yeah that um that kind of talk about the the involvement of people in the situation when it goes badly for the company and, and mm. uh, for instance that energy regulator causing problems i mean that's that's really really interesting from a perspective that it it, it offers a different view of finance now now you're um before you did abundance you were you were involved in you were involved in other sort of mm. groundbreaking finance i think um well, I, uh, yeah i mean the, the sort of the cousin of crowdfunding is peer-to-peer -peer lending um and that that i was involved in the early days with the team right. that created zopa which is the right. first peer-to-peer -peer lender so um and my involvement there was i don't have so much of that role with abundance because i'm more on the marketing side but my role there was i was an anthropologist studying money oh wow okay um, i see and had worked with the team at Egg that then left to form Zopa. Um, so I was doing the research at Egg Bank, as it was then. And uh, we sort of came together, wanted to do something new and different. And, and Zopa, the Zopa model came out of that thinking. Um, so uh, I stayed involved as a sort of consultant with Zopa for a little while, but didn't didn't stick around with that. I had my own anthropology research business at that point, um, studying mainly money. And I worked with a lot of the big banks uh, to try and get them to see money a little bit more like ordinary people see it rather than the way a bank sees it. Do you have to, do you have academic output as well? And, and, and to, uh, uh, 
paper. I, I work with Leeds University and yeah, produced, I'm actually writing, a, oh, we just completed uh, the draft and hopefully the final draft of a book on crowdfunding uh, with a colleague at, at Leeds, uh, Dr. Mark Davis, who he and I have worked together for, for 10 years or more on, uh, on, on new forms of finance. So he's a sociologist, I'm an anthropologist, and between us, we sort of mashed together an interesting perspective on crowdfunding and democratization of finance. Sorry, I was just making notes on that. So that, that book's coming out hopefully in November. We've, we're, we're publishing it through uh, Bristol University Press. Okay. But uh, no, I'm not a formal academic. I do teach on money. I, I teach at business school sometimes and I've taught on various courses that have, I've then seen, I've then been contacted by people at those courses who've then gone on to do something interesting. Um, I also work with the Finance Innovation Lab who um, periodically kind of have a cohort of people they call fellows who are trying out new things in finance in lots of different ways, um, both new types of investing, but also, I don't know, new ways of doing credit checking, things like that, which are all about trying to make finance more inclusive and more socially useful. Right. I was going and to say that you're, you're steeped in finance, but it's not so much the uh the the sort of it's a city type of mm. financier you're more from an academic academic side now that that's yeah something. and a disruptor i'm not yeah i'm not a fan of some of the traditional elements of the city i think um they they build finance almost as an abstract idea away from the society and i think that finance should be embedded in society as much as possible yeah, that's the the next question that I was going to try to segue into was was basically it's about you know capitalism and finance and and the the crisis the crises that we have at the moment with mm. everything coming together with um, from fossil fuels all the way through to things like palm oil and and yeah. um, and the um, so it makes it makes me doubt what I'm doing with my money. I've always been a sort of, uh, I've always been the type of person who thinks that, that giving your money to somebody to do something with it, whether it's just paying for a product that you want, you're in effect supporting it. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've always tried to avoid buying or investing in or doing anything with my money with things that I don't support that I fundamentally yeah. object to. And so when I look at, and so when I look at finance, and um, how am I going to get, um, how am I going to get any type of return on my money? I mean, the, I'm even, I'm even sort of going into, I mean, I've already assumed, right, that I, that I have to have a return on my money. Whereas, for instance, yeah. if you're, a, if you're a, is a Muslim and you believed in Sharia, the Sharia law version mm. of banking, then you, you wouldn't want to have a return on your money at all. Well, it's not an interest return. They, they're, they're okay with risk-based risk sharing deriving returns well you probably know more about it than i do so, so, so it's interesting so if you want the closest we have to a sharia investment interesting is if you invest in one of our early wind turbines because you get um a return that's based on the amount of energy produced not a fixed interest rate and in theory although they're not because you have to go through a process to be uh, assessed by iman and um, they that would be compliant with the sharia law that you're talking about which is that 
what is banned is is earning interest on your money not without risk but but just on the money itself so charging interest for the money as opposed to being a stakeholder in the project so if you buy a, a sharia mortgage then effectively is um you're, you're the return and sometimes if i'm honest there's a little bit of sort of technical trickery to achieve this the return is not charging interest the return is a share of uh the returns on the property effectively right and when you do that in a business then then sharia bond has a variable return it's not fixed which is what we've done with our when we did with the original wind turbine so there was a period when i did consider whether we should go through the process of getting it sharia but by it just takes too long basically was the <laughs> problem right yeah um, but it, but it but in theory, just... yes they are they are compliant with sharia law so they but it is what you exactly what you said your money makes a difference in the world it's not passive it's not neutral it's political and investing is the most political thing you can do with your money which <laughs> is counter to the city this is this is the culture i think i would be against within the city the idea that somehow money is neutral finance is neutral it just sits there like the broadband enabling what what we want to happen but what happens on the internet well that's the internet's problem right. and in reality they're not that uh, well without what to put it you know they they have a hand in shaping what is on that network and also what that those institutions are prepared to do and invest in and that is shaped by the way we constitute finance and money not just your 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 money in you know the way you, you transform it into different forms of capital when you buy it or buy something or you 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 invest in something but also you know how that influences the world around you and i think that's the bit people underestimate they think that that money is sort of effectively a sort of passive commodity right and it's anything but it it's i think there was a, 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 a you know the, the book homo sapiens um he said it's the it's it's the the the, the sort of the, the most influential technology that we've probably ever developed for for collective purpose you know before we had money we didn't really have collective purpose it is and that, it's so difficult yeah. to actually see the the end result though for for a lot of things exactly I mean, which is why then on abundance we make it really really tangible so yeah. it's a kind of process of 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 learning by doing yeah. um because if i talk in that way yeah i i mean i i when i've given lectures on this it's quite hard to make it real for people particularly students because they don't have much money <laughs> no and uh, although they do owe money obviously they're part of the financial system they have student loans um so they tend to approach it through that lens interestingly um, well when you're when you have a student loan there's a bank making money off it yeah. i think at the end of the day that so you are supporting whoever whichever bank you go to to get your student loan from yeah well okay. you're you're supporting i mean it's they've changed the structure a little bit but yes originally yes you were borrowing you were basically supporting investment banks who were buying and trading the bonds backed by your loan and your ability to repay it particularly in america that would be the case um yeah. it, it, it actually you know and i think this is well a separate conversation but i think you know that actually you shouldn't think of your student loan as a loan you should think of it as a form of tax 
and only pay it when you when you need to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is Martin Lewis' view of the world, um, which I, I know shakes people because they're all like, "No, I need to repay my loan. I hate being in debt." I, and, and he's saying, "Don't repay it." Martin Lewis, the independent uh, money-saving expert. Yes. Oh, money-saving expert. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's he will say, "Don't repay it. It's not designed to be repaid." Um, unless you can afford to, 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 you know, you make the full payments over the life. And, and so, because we have this funny idea about debt and savings, for example, we think savings are good and debt is bad, even though savings themselves are just a form of lending. So, you know, yeah. these, these, these are the things where I think, you know, the categories that we use, the words we use, they're all loaded in meaning and morality. So from where you're sitting, thinking, I want to be active with my money, the, what we sort of and this is the thing we mark and i explore in the book it, it it's actually a pretty old phenomenon that um crowdfunding was around back in ancient greece in various forms including peer-to-peer -peer lending actually and at various times over that period it has sort of emerged and it particularly comes forward when you have crises political crises so as and, and where we are now with a sort of political crisis of democracy, that's not so different to the political crisis that created democracy in the first place, where you've got people who are acting like oligarchs or plutocrats or whatever you want to call them, or technocrats, uh, taking control of things. People fight back and they look for alternative ways of using their money in order to do that. Um, so I don't know if you saw, but I found it particularly significant that Italy without even a comment allowed a technocrat Mario Draghi to be prime minister which is the equivalent of us saying to Mark Carney well now you've finished being Bank of England governor do you think you could do a better job than Boris Johnson <laughs> and is, effectively it, installing him that, that this Mario Draghi he's not actually elected then no good point no, he, I didn't realize that I thought no oh, no he's a technocrat uh, it's possible in the Italian constitution, as long as everyone agrees, that the prime minister doesn't have to be an elected person. I see. Not so in England? I don't know United about the Kingdom. rules between the House of Lords and the House of Commons. I don't know, is the honest answer. It's not written down, so I probably it's just based on precedent. Normally, the prime minister comes from the Commons. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but I've... I've I would put money on there not being a law written down that says that's what the way it should work because I mean it was a job created by Robert Walpole 300 years ago so I mean, he just made it up <laughs> so that he had a little bit more power than the king. Fantastic British history yeah. Well it sort of goes back that was when the national debt was created you see so it's all down to money. Um, 1694 that's the beginning of the national debt um, that's when the debt was decided by Parliament, not by the King. And that is around the time that we start having Prime Ministers. That was after they had, uh, after Cromwell and the Interregnum, yeah. and they brought back his son, right? So he was a yeah. King. So, well, it's after the Glorious Revolution, actually. It's William, William and Mary. So even later than that, 1694, yeah. Right, okay. You're... You're going into territory where I <laughs> well there's an excellent book I recommend it is a guy called uh I'm gonna forget his name uh Nigel S not Slater um ah I'll have to send you the link um okay. it's called the national debt and it's uh a professor in Oxford that just basically 
because this is all written down in the Bank of England, what we owe okay. each year, the accounts of the UK. And he, he dug into all the different stories behind it and what people used to invest in. So this, and, and I think, you know, within that, crowdfunding has existed before the type of municipal bonds we're doing now. Um, that was something that really got started in about 1870 odd. So... Is this something that is now being thrown into question by modern monetary theory? Or am uh, I not not really. There? I think modern monetary theory is more about how you understand the creation of money to the process to occur. How I, this is how I read it anyway. So it's saying that you know the, the thing that should make you think about creating money is is you know, is it is money created effectively in the private sector? Or is it created by the state through its spending? A modern monetary theory is that money is created in that way. How that money is then used, that's the question for your financial system that then sits alongside it. So I think modern monetary theory is much more about understanding the levers of change that you have as a state, whether they're fiscal or monetary. And it's kind of saying those two things are more linked than we treat them now. Um, and, but from a, an investor perspective, the, you know, the development of new ways of government sort of raising finance or moving capital around, that's a different, that's a different area. That's more about, so national savings, for example, we have record levels of national saving with the government right now. Um, Do we? That sounds like a great thing. Great thing to have. Well, yes, exactly, because I've said it's national savings. If I said that's right. the national debt, you know, <laughs> that 200 billion of our national debt is ordinary people's money sat with the government in their bank account. I see. It sounds less good. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's actually, you know, there's a theory that says it's a good thing if you're lending, if you're borrowing to do certain things. So if the government was investing heavily into green infrastructure, as, as we're doing as individuals, and that's what they say they're going to do. They're going to invest into green infrastructure over the next 10 years. Um, they should borrow that money as cheaply as possible. And one, a good way of doing that is to borrow from your citizens because we've got excess savings at the moment in the UK of about 180 billion built up through the pandemic by people not going out and going to pubs. So How does that compare with the... Um, I always thought that we were astoundingly bad at saving under the word the saving rate is a different thing yeah well we we we, we generally we save if you take an av average across the population yeah our saving rate is low compared to say china or germany but is this but that's because we have a you know, there's, there's drivers for that are because we have a pension a national you know we have a, a universal pension system which china doesn't have we have uh and and we have a culture of uh putting our money in houses rather than putting our money in banks. So, so, but I think the savings that have been built up in the last year and a half relate to our not spending, which is a, a different type of excess, if you like. And that money is now sat there. And, and it, if you just, if we all went out tomorrow and bought goods just in shops, we'd have inflation very, very quickly. Um, right. If, if we went out and invested some of that in things like, job creation through green infrastructure the effect won't be inflationary it will be more sustainable and you know it might it will bring our growth back to where we were when we started this mess 
Okay, but, so but transforming the economy in the process, which would be a helpful thing. So the pressure to uh, reduce your carbon footprint and not go out and spend all this money is essentially going to be quite good. Uh, well, that would be people. a win-win if yeah. we didn't burn carbon doing consumption that we've actually, you know, yeah, okay, we need an element of socialising and good stuff in our lives, but if, yeah. if a proportion of that money actually now went into green infrastructure, that, in my mind, would be a win-win economically and environmentally because we're, we're we're giving people jobs that are good quality jobs in areas that have lost a lot of good quality jobs so the north and the you know the industrialized north and those jobs are not contributing to our negatively to our carbon budget they're making positive inroads into that carbon budget towards right. net zero um so i it's a, it will be a shame if we miss this opportunity. Right now, there's an opportunity, as you said, it's an interregnum. We're in a state of uncertainty. This is a time to sort of establish with people some new rules of the game. And I think one of them is, rather than thinking of our money purely in terms of that savings rate, which is essentially money set aside, we should think of ourselves as our investment rate and money that is there for a purpose and there for, a, and, and is, essentially then aligned with the future that we want to create. We don't really measure that very much. And, and but if you look at productivity gains and sustainability investing, the UK is a little bit behind the curve on that. And so more of our money could go into green, the development of the green economy, for sure. I can see the, I, I can see that, that that's obviously a good thing to, to save money. But at the end of the day, especially for me, with mm. in my personal situation with like, so when I come to retire, I will have a state pension, which is about eight grand a year. So basically nowhere near enough mm -hmm. for, me, for me living in London with essentially not that good a life, not that great, fantastic a lifestyle. So I am then thinking about, well, no, I'm only going to save it up to a certain date and then I'm going to start drawing it all down. Right. So, um, so yeah, that that's, kind of that's one way of thinking. It's but, a cycle, so it's not yeah, it's but, not always going to be good. It's going to be so me spending my money that I've been saving for so long will then have a negative effect on it. Or, or well, you you should spend it. I'm saying you should invest it. So you should be recycling that. So I think your savings pot is not a pile of cash that you're then going to spend. Your savings pot will will be turned into a type of investment called an annuity, and there are various forms of those annuities around now. Um, but annuities essentially are an insurance product. They will pay your return for a fixed period of time or forever or until you die, basically. And, and so what you're saving up for is to buy the best possible long term income thing that you can buy. Um, now, personally, I've you know, my because we have a pension with abundance. I've I put all my pensions into the SIP product that we have. So, yeah, my pension is being grown slowly by renewable energy by whatever means and okay. at the end of it um if i press the button on my pension to say okay now i want to retire and with uh, with five five children three of only three of whom so far have got through the university system that will be a long way off wow <laughs> um, <laughs> is is uh i will then want to put it into and you have no freedom now i'll then want to put it into investments that pay me a return to fund mm -hmm my retirement when I can no longer earn money through working, right. assuming that 
yeah that, uh, that's that's what i'm going to do so it, i think this is the this is the this is coming back to the anthropology what i've found is that we've got this a morality around saving we, we think of money in terms of savings yeah and arguably it's it's a it's a it comes from a, a working class roots of saving up to buy a house you know most people work their lives to buy their house at the end of their lives that that was how it used to work and then mortgages came along and accelerated that process somewhat to actually owning a house but we haven't moved the conversation on around money and so your retirement is based on your investment capability not your saving capability um, so if you just do it through savings and just add interest on savings as they are in the bank, you will you, you will have you will have a poor retirement. Mm -hmm. If you invest that money, and the earlier you do it, uh, I have friends who set up pensions for their children. That that is yeah, that's forward thinking. <laughs> because the first ten years, those earnings that you make in the first ten years will compound for the next fifty. So even a 10 year head start will you know double the size of your pension pot over the next 50 years and and this is it's the compounding effect of 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 capitalism is the thing that is both feared and misunderstood <laughs> on the environmental side this is why we're addicted to growth um but it's also how investment works it's it's a challenge i think to navigate yeah yeah, totally. I mean, I've, but you're talking to somebody who's already, who's already reached the point where those 10 years that I should have invested are way back behind me. I, now, well, so. I'm the same. I, I, I'm, you, you, I'm, what am I? I'm a converted, not a preacher, if you sort of mean. <laughs> okay. So I, I learned too late. That's how it all works. Same as, same as, because I said it's, it's what we all believe about money. Yeah. And, um, you know, suddenly you get your eyes opened by an experience and you think well actually it doesn't work that way i wish i'd known that 10 years ago um but you know you can't wind the clock back so then it's then it's about saying can we create products right so the the investment products that you buy now when you retire they're basically marketed by the insurance industry and are there because the insurance industry has a particular type of of liability in the future that they want to offset and oh, okay. so the return that you get is quite low on those annuities now because um, it's it's fixed by interest rates and the cost of money and things like that. Are um, there green ver versions of these annuities? Can you get green annuities? yet, uh, except some of the products that we're now doing with councils are going to work and act a lot like annuities. They're going to be a similar. They're not as good in the risk on the risk basis, but they'll provide that slightly better return, but they will be green. Right. Okay. So, no, that that's a whole market that needs to be opened up. But at the moment, those products are driven by the reason why people retiring now are getting such a poor deal on them is because the Bank of England interest rate is, in, is effectively zero. Yeah. And the government is borrowing for effectively zero. Therefore, your return on your annuity is not very good compared to inflation. No. So yeah, it's it's a. Uh, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Um, it, it's, 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 but it is an area that we we've looked at for abundance. But it's a very hard one to sort of break into because it's it's such a regulated market. Yeah, I bet. There was. Um, I'm just looking at the clock. Uh, I was just. 
um there were quite a few questions that i didn't get didn't manage yeah to get. i was just looking at those loads of loads of stuff that would be great to talk about still but i i kind of think it would be best to wrap up but there's just one more question that i wanted did want to ask They're sort of do you know have a do you have any personal tips that, that you can give for how can we best survive the future and all right. of this all of these uncertainties and risks surrounding climate change and what's going to happen yeah i I think it's easy to get blocked by that, isn't it? I think that because you look at everything that's happening and it's I think it's quite confusing because there's all these different technologies. There's a lot of investments now out there. There's a lot of funds and different products being offered. I think the core of it is not acting has a cost. So sort of the, 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 the weight and C strategy is, is effectively a negative strategy now. Mm -hmm because uh, the clock is running out and and it is a clock that's running down quite quickly and so the, the next bit is like well how do you act and I think you can get tired in not saying what is the most effective thing I can do the most effective thing you can do is therefore to make a decision that sort of fits as best you can the financial needs that you've got um, and then, so for some people that will be to, to look at a fund type product for others if you've got money that has, you can afford a little bit of risk, then then looking at crowdfunding makes sense. But I think it's about breaking it down. So my tip is don't look at your money as a single pot. Look at it as these are my different pots of money that I've got, even if those are individually quite small, and make the decision for each one of those, depending on what your purpose is for that money. So right. if you can get, get that purpose sorted out, then some of the financial decisions are made for you. And then you can look at the outcomes in terms of their impact. And then I think, yeah, looking at uh, an ethical bank like Triodos, that's a good start because they are making decisions on their lending side, which are better for the for the environment than other banks. I think then there's also looking at um, crowdfunding for the money that you want to take more risk with, but also to make more change with, I think. Mm -hmm. If you're in that mindset, you want to create change. Um, and then there's sort of a middle ground, which is for for the money that you you know like saving for your retirement where you want to get diversification as quickly as possible and then then you should look at a fund right sage advice thank you very much well it, it, with the slight caveat that yes it's not advice <laughs> <laughs> okay sage works but it is, is it would be my yeah my tip as someone that is also doing it i, I feel more comfortable saying it because you, you know as abundance of directors we put our money where our mouth is so we have a SIP and an ISA each, we invest in all the projects. Uh, if things go well, we benefit. If things go wrong, we're involved. Um, so Brilliant. We see that as a personal responsibility. Brilliant. It's been a, it's been a great talk. Uh, really interesting to uh, talking about capitalism and society and the way things work and how it all fits together. It's, uh, it's been really good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Enjoy the oh, enjoy chat. So there you have it. That was Bruce Davis from Abundance Investments, where you can support various renewable energy projects from as little as £5. And if you have any cash extra, then you can support me if you head on over to patreon.com using the link on the carbonwatchdog.org website. And uh, thank you very much for listening. 